0: all right uh the intention is we'll see what actually happens the intention is we're finally going to come to the conclusion on covenant theology tonight um <clears throat> or i should say the chapter on covenant theology because uh from this point forward just as i have told you we never Go away from the Trinity. We have a Trinitarian religion, so everything is Trinitarian. Everything we cover from this point forward in the Confession is also covenantal. So uh, we never really get away from this, but this will hopefully conclude the uh, chapter on that subject specifically anyway. Um, So I'm going to start off again looking into the Confession and reading where we're at. Is chapter 7, sections 2 and 3. <clears throat> it says, Since humanity brought itself under the curse of the law by its fall, it pleased the Lord to make a covenant of grace. In this covenant, he freely offers to sinner's life and salvation through Jesus Christ. On their part, he requires faith in him that they may be saved and promises to give his Holy Spirit to all who are ordained to eternal life make them willing and able to believe this covenant is revealed in the gospel it was revealed first of all to adam in the promise of salvation through the seed of the woman after that it was revealed step by step until the full revelation of it was completed in the new testament this covenant is based on the eternal covenant transaction between the father and the son concerning the redemption of the elect Only through the grace of this covenant have those saved from among the descendants of fallen Adam obtained life and blessed immortality. Humanity is now utterly incapable of being accepted by God on the same terms on which Adam was accepted in his state of innocence. So we have covered uh, everything that we're planning to cover in this chapter except the sacraments of the covenant. So, the final component, the sacraments, the visible signs, if you would prefer, the ordinances, if you would prefer, these are all referring to the same thing. Confessionally, more importantly, biblically, there are only two sacraments of the new covenant. There are those who say there are more, they are wrong. There are only two sacraments of the New Covenant. The 1689 Confession, chapter 28, section 1, states plainly, Baptism and the Lord's Supper are ordinances of positive and sovereign institution. They are appointed by the Lord Jesus, the only lawgiver, and are to be continued in his church to the end of the age. Now, That term, lawgiver, we've gone over this. Covenants have law. That's a covenantal term. Um, These are ordinances of positive and sovereign institution. So these are things that were um, specifically appointed by Jesus. Not by an apostle, not by some church father later on down the line, but by Jesus himself. Commenting on this section of the confession, Sam Waldron states, quote, A positive ordinance or law is something in addition to the law of nature. It is something not demanded by nature. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are not part of the law of nature. They did not exist in the Old Testament, but came into existence with the new covenant. End quote. <clears throat> This is why the confession states that they were appointed as something to be continued in the church. The New Covenant people. Okay, Church and New Covenant people, same thing. By Jesus as the only lawgiver. So, first, we will consider baptism. There's a lot we could... uh, talk about in regards to baptism. Um, I'm going to try to refrain from going too much into it. Not promising I won't, but I'm going to at least attempt. Um, I don't believe we're going to have to because a a lot of what I would talk about if we were just going to talk about baptism, we've really already talked about. Um, I think we've sufficiently covered one of the proper subjects of baptism and the Lord's Supper, for that matter, um, are believers only. And namely, that reason is that they are the only ones who are New Covenant members, and that's the only ones who should receive the covenant signs. You're not in the covenant, you don't receive the sign of the covenant. Um, And We've gone over the argument for the inclusion of infants in the covenant and why that's biblically indefensible, why it's wrong why, in short, we are Baptists and we're not Presbyterian or uh, Congregationalist or whatever other infant Baptist group you want to put in there, Anglican, I guess that would be another one. Um, this is really what I want to focus on since I think we've already sufficiently covered those sorts of things. Um The confession says in chapter 29, section 1, defining what baptism is. It says, Baptism is an ordinance of the New Testament. Now remember, testament, covenant, same thing. So, an ordinance, a law, same thing. So, it's something that's given by the lawgiver within the context of the New Covenant. It is ordained by Jesus Christ. Now, here's the focus. To those baptized, it is a sign of their fellowship with him in his death and resurrection, of their being grafted into him of remission of sins and of submitting themselves to God through Jesus Christ to live and walk in newness of life. Often in Baptist circles... Baptism is thought of in terms of identifying to the world our new identity in Christ. It is our testimony to the world about what has happened to us. But the confession rightly asserts that rather than it being our testimony to the world, it is God's testimony to the believer that the promises of the new covenant are his. It is God saying to the believer that he has been adopted into the family of God. Quite literally, we are baptized into the triune name of Yahweh. Jesus commanded that his disciples are to be baptized into the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. It is God placing his mark, on the believer and declaring his fellowship with the believer. Baptism is an ordinance, or I should say it's the ordinance of entrance into the new covenant. This is what visibly marks us out. So I am not in saying that, denying that it does carry with it that component of testimony to the world. It does. But I think that we unfortunately have come to think of it as exclusively a testimony to the world about our new identity. I'm saying something to the world by doing this. Yeah, that is an effect, but primarily it's God saying something to me or you, whoever the baptismal candidate is. God is saying, this one's mine. Not only is he saying that to you. He's also saying that to the world. My child. Don't mess with this one. My child. So, why does this initiatory sign, what does it rather, signify? I just went over a little bit of that, right? First, it signifies fellowship with Christ in his death, and his resurrection. So to see this, we're going to look at two passages. First, Romans chapter 6.
1: Yeah. Okay. First <laughs> time Okay. So, and you know it, it kind of goes in slow sometimes. I mean, um,
0: so you said that
1: it's God's testimony to a to the believer. Yes. Can you tell me again what it's saying again? What God is saying to the believer.
0: So God is marking out. Yeah. Okay, so um, I'm going to try to use this term, but I've got to be careful how I use this. Sanctification means to set apart, right? And we covered um, progressive sanctification as one of the blessings of the new covenant, all right? That is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about sanctification strictly in the sense of setting apart with what I'm about to say, okay? It is God visibly sanctifying us, setting us apart from the world. Now, it is uh, a picture, visible picture of what has already occurred inwardly. So I do not want it to sound like I'm saying baptismal regeneration. Absolutely not. Uh, We would certainly deny baptismal regeneration. However, it does... Picture regeneration. Uh, It does, it is God saying this person has a new heart. This person is my child. Um, This person is a new covenant member. They are in covenant, saving covenant with me versus the one who has not been baptized. Okay. Now, for it to be true baptism, and I didn't really get into this part, for it to be true baptism, Um, So we can do the outward washing with water, right? For it to be a legitimate baptism, regeneration must have taken place in the heart. So the thing that is signified must be real. Um, Because I can get, I, I mean, somebody can go dump just anybody. And that does not mean what is signified in baptism is true. Or even that God is saying that to that unregenerate person. Of course not. That's not a legitimate baptism. Um, but here's the thing about it. If it's God saying it, God knows who's his. Okay? So it's something he speaks into our. I'm trying not to sound too mystical here, but it's him speaking to the believer. Marking out.
1: When he's drawn your heart to himself, mm-hmm. that's a conversation between you and him
0: anyway. Okay. Think about. And I'm planning to read the passage again. <clears throat> we talked about the new com- or the Great Commission on Sunday, and that passage normally is translated um, that we are baptized in the name. But the idea that's being carried to you is into the name. So it's like we are in the triune God. Okay, we're one. We're together now. We're linked, and we're baptized into that. Okay? So, again, God marking us as his. Mm-hmm. Um, that clarify at all? Yes. Now, I will say, too, another thing that may be helpful is don't just take my words. Look at the language that's used in the confession because those men said it better than I'll ever say it. Um, um, it. This
1: is the first time I've ever heard it like this. And so <coughs> I just wanted. to... Think mm-hmm. of a way. Yes. 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 But that's the way to look at it. I mean. you
0: truly are
1: married, sure. Is, is much a
0: yeah, approach? I. I think that would be analogous because that's a yeah. covenant sign and baptism yeah. is a covenant sign. Yeah. Of course, it's not perfectly analogous, but yes, I, I do think and, that's a good and, example.
1: And it is between the <coughs> conversation that's between the two of you. It is a, even the marriage ceremony is between the two of them and we're just witnesses.
0: Right. So, okay. So the spouses place the ring on the other spouse's right. finger. Yes. So this is. My sign, I am marking you out as my spouse. That's why I do think there is it's somewhat analogous. I don't think it's perfect, but it is yeah. So it's I am placing my symbol, my covenant symbol on you, and then vice versa. Now, of course, in baptism we're not we don't place a symbol on God. I mean God's our sovereign. But the
1: symbol is going under the water and back out.
0: Yes. So, so that's where regeneration is going to be pictured. It is the old man dies, the new man rises. So regeneration is pictured. It is not affected, but it is pictured in baptism. Ken, you had something? What's
1: the the so uh-huh. you know what they did is uh they Mm-hmm. 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 uh. uh am Uh, and then what happened was to literally, and so uh literally
0: so so let me make sure i'm understanding the question what you're asking is where does god distinguishing this one is mine and the believer's obedience in partaking in the ordinance okay um i don't think it's both um i I do think so you you got to think okay there's two parties involved in this primarily I mean, you do have the minister or whoever that's going to actually physically do the baptism. But as far as the sign itself, right. he's just a means. Right. So you've got two parties here: you've got God and the believer. Okay, so I'm more so focusing on God's side of this transaction. Okay, uh, but if we do focus on the believer's side, it is obedience. Christ clearly says part of discipleship. Uh, in fact, the initiatory sign is baptism. So I, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but that's okay. Um, so when we do the Lord's Supper, um, and I try to give that warning about properly taking it, that's why. Um,
1: because what what
0: we see, actually, we'll come back to the Romans passage. Let me go ahead and just get ahead of this. Go to Matthew 28. So this is what I wanted you to see in Matthew 28. Anyway, so since it's come up, let's just go ahead and go there. Um, so in Matthew 28, uh, and again, the passage is verses 18 through 20. This is the Great Commission. Um, What we went over uh, Sunday, of course, the basis for all of this, the authority of Jesus Christ, what we just read in the uh, confession, I think twice, if I'm not mistaken. This is instituted by Jesus, the only lawgiver, or to say that another way, the one who has the all-encompassing authority, right? So based on the authority of Jesus, who has all authority in heaven and earth. Okay. then in verse 19, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, So that is the broad, this is on the basis of Jesus' authority. I am commanding you to go disciple the nations. Okay? So, of course, a command is met with a response, either obedience or disobedience. But then uh, he says, this is how you do it. Baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's step one. So, if you skip that step, you are not in the visible covenant community. It does not necessarily mean you're not saved again. I do not believe I will not teach baptismal regeneration, but I also would ask the same question I asked on Sunday. You're telling me you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, but the very first thing he tells you to do, you're going to say no. I think we have every reason in the world to question the sincerity of your conversion, okay? So to enter the visible covenant community, obedience to this directive, be baptized, has to occur. So it is from our perspective, as far as like the part that we're doing in the ordinance, it is obedience. An an ordinance is a law, right? And you either obey or you don't obey. So yes, uh, from our side of the coin, it is obedience, absolutely. Um, I'm more so wanting to focus on God's side of the coin because I think
1: we always
0: focus on that other side, it's the like, obedience
1: yeah. side. Really just left side. Yeah. Because
0: so that I'm just putting an if I'm just putting more emphasis on it. I think it's both. Sorry, this, uh, the way that, uh,
1: the, 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 so yes. to observe all that i've commanded all what happens uh the of the yes yes Yep. Yes. yes. Well.
0: Uh, I, I agree, um, but then also think about this, um, and we went over this on Sunday. But what is a disciple? It's a pupil. It's someone who's learning to be like someone else. So, but someone else in this case is the lawgiver. So teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Okay, the Great Commission is not just go preach the gospel, baptize them, and next. That's not it at all. It's baptizing them, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. In other words, remember, we're saved with the predestination that we talked about, predestined to be conformed to the image of christ to be to look like him. so this teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you that's that process we've talked about now that is progressive sanctification, so which thought. yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's this right here. That's right. It's what we're doing right now. That's right. Um, So, step one is the baptism part. Okay? I'm talking about once you're... Hey, we're working on it. We're working. Step one is the baptism part. Okay? And then the rest of your life, you should be learning, and us as a church, together, should be teaching yeah so um anyway so yeah I, I think, yes, you're right, there is definitely a law component to it, it, it uh, not not, not that, in the not sense that, of saved I mean, by the it's, law it's but a, um, a priority component
1: yeah. Because, uh, uh, That's right, that's right. But okay. this is the mains he gives though. Yeah, Yeah. Yes, um So it's not it's and that goes back to his point right he he
0: he is the one building his church but we're the means he uses to, but we're his tools if you you will um and so on the one side yes christ is building his church absolutely christ and christ alone is building his church but on the other side of that he's the one in charge he can build it how he wants to and how he's chosen to build it is us So we don't just get to, because we believe in predestination, we don't just get to sit here and go, okay, well, do your thing, God. We don't get to do that. If we are doing that, we're in sin. So um, let me also, I started a point and I went off something else. Let me finish what I was going to say on that. In relation to the Lord's Supper, um, I was talking about the warning that I give on Sundays. The reason that I give the warning that it is for baptized believers, it's not just for believers, for baptized believers is because the teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. Lord's supper falls into that. He commanded that step one's baptism though. So if you didn't do step one, don't skip and go to step two. Okay. You do it in the order he said to do it. So if you've been baptized, yes, you're commanded to take it, but, if you've not been baptized, you're not ready yet. That's why I give that warning. Um, okay. Any anything else on that point before we go back to where we were? <laughs> I
1: just never heard it put that way. Thank you.
0: It was uh well.
1: Stimulating I'm
0: following know. the confession, so I am not taking credit for that. But yeah, um, it was like it was know. astonishing the first time that I had ever heard it put that way for me as well, because. I did not grow up thinking of it in those terms either. Um, So the first time that I heard it put that way, it clicked. It made sense. And it was a paradigm shift, really, um, for how to look at the ordinances. Because I have only looked at not just baptism, also the Lord's Supper. I have just looked at it in terms of its obedience. And it is that. It's not that I'm saying that's wrong. It it is. I've just never thought about about it from God's side. What is God saying in this? Yeah,
1: It's not just that. Because right.
0: There's more stories. there. Yeah. So all right. Um so where 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 we were at just a moment ago before we went off on that rabbit trail, which was well worth it. Um, but where we were at, we were looking at do what No, actually that that was a good I think that was a good uh conversation there. Um we were looking at though what does the initiatory sign of the new covenant actually signify? The first thing it it signifies is fellowship with Christ in his death and resurrection. And uh, there was two passages on this one. uh, Romans 6, starting in verse 3 and going through verse 11. And it says, do you not know that all... Actually, let me just back up because it it actually kind of relates to what we were just talking about. Starting in verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? ESV says, by no means, but this is one case I like the KJV better. God forbid. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And then he says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. In order that Of death and resurrection. This is one of the reasons. See I told you I wasn't making any promises about this. This is one of the reasons why. I believe. The, the scriptures. Even in this passage. The scriptures would teach that baptism is by immersion. Um, because if otherwise. If you're not fully immersed in the water. Kind of destroys the picture. Okay, Um, the next passage, Colossians chapter 2. So this is the same thing, fellowship with Christ in his death and resurrection. But uh, this would be Colossians chapter 2. Verses 11 through 15. All right, it says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism. Buried. That's clear. Buried with him in baptism Them in Him. All right, the next thing to consider that baptism signifies it signifies us being grafted into Christ. Now, we just read in Matthew's gospel that we are to be baptized into the triune name. Okay, so that would be another passage that we could point to for our being grafted into Christ and not just Christ, but also the Trinity, the um, fullness of deity which does dwell bodily in Christ that said it right before the passage was read in Colossians. But um, on this, we're going to look at Galatians chapter 3. One of the absolute best ones for covenant theology, I hope you see. (laughs) Um, But particularly just verse 27. So Galatians chapter 3, verse 27 I'm going to try to speed through these a little quicker because we're going to run out of time. <laughs> so, as far as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. All right. It also um, signifies the remission of sins and willful submission to God through Christ. Kind of the obedience idea we were talking about. Um, Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39. Um, Interestingly enough, this is one of the passages that is often used to justify paedo-baptism or infant baptism. And I think if you actually read this passage, uh, just for what it is, not with your rose-colored glasses on or whatever but if you actually read what the passage is saying it's actually a good argument against it um acts chapter 2 verses 38 and 39 and uh he's talking to the jews he's preached this pentecostal sermon to them and they are cut to the heart and they want to know okay now what do we do we are in trouble and peter said to them repent and be baptized every one of you In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. And here it is. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. That last clause says, you got to be called to God before you receive it. Okay? (laughs) Um, That's why I'm saying that is not a good argument for infant baptism, even though it is one of the most often cited passages for it. Um, All right, next one. Acts chapter 22, verses 12 through 16. Again, this is baptism as a sign of the remission of sins and willful submission to God through Christ. All right, picking up in verse 12. And one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me, uh, it is Paul, the Apostle Paul that is speaking, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will. Suffer on that for a minute. To see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Okay, same thought in mind. First Peter chapter three. Yes, such as are being saved. That's correct.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: yes. Um, I would love to see people coming to Christ that quickly, and I think it can happen too. Um, okay, one Peter chapter three verses eighteen through twenty-two. Says For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. And we have to be careful here, because it says then, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. That's that's pretty, yeah, that's what the scriptures say. Baptism now saves you, but not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. That kind of person has already been regenerated. All right. Now, just, we've got to be careful here. Read the entire verse. Don't stop where it says baptism saves. Read what they mean, or what Peter meant by that. Uh, again, it says baptism, which corresponds to this, Noah, and the ark. Uh, now saves you, but it says explicitly not as a removal of dirt from the body. So the baptism itself, the literal uh, descending into the water, that is not what saves you. It's not what is being said here. But as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, such a person is already regenerated. That's a sign, yes, it's a sign of what has already happened. That's right. That's why you got to be careful and read the entire passage, not just go, oh, baptism now saves you, and go, oh, no, well, I guess the Catholics are right. No, it's not It's not what it says. Um, a simple reading of the verses outside of their greater biblical context would seem to indicate that okay but we've read other texts in our consideration of the covenant clearly indicate we are saved by faith alone can't be both and we know scripture does not contradict itself scripture cannot be broken jesus said and the confession the confession cites faith alone as the condition for entrance into the covenant. But now we're seeing baptism in a similar light. What gives? While it's not included in the 1689 Baptist Confession, I do believe chapter 27, sections 1 through 3 of the Westminster Confession are helpful for dealing with this question. Yes, I, a Baptist, am appealing to the Pato baptist confession here, but they got that part right, okay? Just because they got one thing wrong doesn't mean they're wrong about everything. Sections one through three of chapter 27 of the Westminster Confession says this, sacraments are holy signs and seals of the covenant of grace immediately instituted by God to represent Christ and his benefits and to confirm our interest in him as also to put a visible difference, visible difference, between those that belong unto the church and the rest of the world, and solemnly to engage them to the service of God in Christ according to his word. There is in every sacrament a spiritual relation or sacramental union, that's the term you need to know, sacramental union, between the sign and the thing signified, whence it comes to pass that the names and effects of the one are attributed to the other, the grace which is exhibited in or by the sacraments rightly used is not conferred by any power in them. Neither does the efficacy of a sacrament depend upon the piety or intention of him that does administer it, but upon the work of the Spirit and the word of institution, which contains, together with the precept, authorizing the use thereof, a promise of benefit to worthy receivers. So The idea is that, In scripture, often the thing represented by the sacrament is spoken of as if the sacrament affects it. They're interchangeable terms. Um, Now, we saw that here. Baptism now saves. Baptism is a sign of being saved. It's a sign of regeneration, but it doesn't regenerate. But there, this is not the only place in Scripture. I, I'm gonna. I want to show you two more places in Scripture just to show you this is a consistent testimony in Scripture. It was chapter twenty-seven, sections one through three. Uh, but more importantly, Scripture in Genesis chapter seventeen. This is not new covenant sacrament, but nevertheless, this is a sacrament. Um, Genesis chapter seventeen. Verses uh, 10 and 11. So this is in the context of the Abrahamic covenant. Okay. But look at what he said. So in verse 10 and 11. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. In those two verses, it is spoken of as both the covenant and the sign of the covenant. Um, another example, Matthew chapter 26. This gets into the next thing we were going to get into, but I am surprised we're not going
1: to finish. today.
0: Um, it's okay, though. That's a good thing. We're having a good conversation. Um Matthew chapter 26, and we are looking at verses 27 and 28. This is the institution of the Lord's Supper. So now we are talking about new covenant signs, not baptism, but the next one that we're not going to get to tonight. (laughs) Um, But there it says, and he, Jesus, took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, uh, we have, like I said, we're not going to get into it tonight, but I will just say, spoiler alert, we do not believe that the elements are actually transformed into the literal, physical body and blood of Christ. But here Jesus did very clearly say, this is my blood. So there is, uh, if, if for now, if we just take it, that it does not actually change, then the sign is being spoken of as if it is the thing it symbolizes. So it is a consistent thing in Scripture that God does this. Um, Lewis Burkoff helpfully explains the union of the sign and that which it signifies. He says, quote, this is usually called the forma sacramenta. It's just a Latin term, forma here, meaning essence. So it's the essence, because it is exactly the relation between the sign and the thing signified that constitutes the essence of the sacrament. According to the Reformed view, this is a not physical as Roman Catholics claim, as if the thing signified were inherent in the sign, and the reception of the materia externa, which is less Latin for external material, so that would be water, as we're talking about in baptism, water, talking about the Lord's Supper, we're talking about the bread and the wine. The external material necessarily carried with it a participation in the internal material. B. Nor local, as the Lutherans represent it, as if the sign and the thing signified were present in the same space, so that both believers and unbelievers receive the full sacrament when they receive the sign. C. But spiritual. That's what we would affirm if we're going to be consistent with the uh, 1689 Confession and I believe Scripture. Spiritual or as Turretin expresses it, relative and moral, so that where the sacrament is received in faith, the grace of God accompanies it. According to this view, the external sign becomes a means employed by the Holy Spirit in the communication of divine grace. The close connection between the sign and the thing signified explains the use of what is generally called sacramental language in which the sign is put for the thing signified or vice versa. Baptism now saves you. Finally, on this point, R.C. Sproul says this. uh, Quote, there is a spiritual relationship between the outward sign of the sacrament and what the sign signifies. That does not mean that the sacrament causes what it signifies. Just because we participate in the sacrament of baptism does not mean that we are born again, that we are completely removed from original sin Or that we are indwelt by christ and participate in his death and resurrection all those things are communicated by that sign and it is spiritually tied to the reality because god says it is so the sacrament is not just an empty ritual it has spiritual significance and reality because god assigns that to it just as the word of god does not return to him void neither does the exercise and administration of his sacrament return to him void. So I hope you're seeing in this that because of the sacramental union between the sign and what it signifies, scripture often uses the terms for each of these interchangeably. This being the case, we can rightly say that salvi- uh, salvation is by faith alone and simultaneously that people should be baptized for the remission of sins and that baptism saves because baptism signifies these realities, which are ours, in fact, by faith alone, it is the sacrament, the sign of faith. And that's why we can say it is the visible entrance into the visible covenant community because faith is the entrance for the invisible covenant community see the one-to-one all right um Yes, it would.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's an outward manifestation of inward reality. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all that other thing I was about to say. Um, okay, any other uh, discussion on that before we close? All right, if nothing else, let's close with a word of prayer. Father, uh, we are thankful um, again for your covenant with us. Um, we're thankful for, first of all, our mediator, our Prophet, Priest, and King Jesus Christ, who has earned all of the benefits of this covenant that we've already discussed, and who has commanded these ordinances or sacraments that we're going over now. I pray that uh, you would continue to guide us in our study and uh, to be obedient to His command uh, to be baptized and to feast upon His. His blood, and we're thankful that we're able to do that. We pray in Jesus' name.